0: A time is coming when nations will rise against nations. Famines will dry the world. Earthquakes will shake the foundations of the earth. A time of great evil and of great distress. The beginning of the end of the world. The end of time, the end of sin. Then, when no one expects, heaven will open, Jesus will return, the earth will be made new, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So keep watch and be ready for the beginning of the end.
1: Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much. For all of you who are online, I love the fact that you are there. I think about you. And, and even while I'm preaching, I have caught you on my mind. I'm so grateful that you are a part of this service, that you come back week after week after week and I want to welcome each and every one of you and for everyone across all of our campuses today that are in person, yay God for you because I love being able to look at people while I am teaching on Sunday mornings and I'm so grateful you're here. Something happened at at Easter. We were hoping it would be what would happen that people would take the plunge and come back and stay back and we have had a big jump on uh, in-person services and I want to thank you for that and we want everyone to come back and I hope you will we'll take good care of you we'll keep you safe and we would love to have you back in person we're in a series entitled the beginning of the end it is a series about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And quite honestly, I've had more people over the last six months, eight months, who have come up to me or, or communicated in some form. Would you consider teaching a series on the second coming of Jesus Christ? I have done that several times in in my 18 years here, two or three times. But uh, what has happened is, is that there is a growing hunger about this topic, and we understand it. First of all, We believe Jesus is coming back. And we want to better understand what the Bible teaches about that. But the second thing is we're just at the end, hopefully, at the end of a pandemic. And we have faced stresses and issues that we have never faced before. And on top of that, all the upheaval socially and politically. And there is such a sense in us, how does all of this fit into the end times, is this a part of what Jesus said of what uh, God the whole, and the Holy Spirit said to us would happen and the end times. So could you help us? Would you teach us? And I've had so many people do that. The truth is, One in every 30 verses in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, one out of every 30 verses talks about the second coming of Jesus Christ. I mean, you you go back in Job and in the writings of Moses and the writings of David and in, in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel for crying out loud. When's the last time you read the book of Daniel? It's all through the book of Daniel. And most of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, they talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. I've had some people that have said to me, hey, just tell us he's coming back. That's the only thing you got to talk about with, with the second coming of Christ. And I say, well, wait a minute. But the Bible says so much more than just the fact he's coming back. It talks to us about how the world will be, what's going to take place. Shouldn't we talk about the whole word of God? Am I supposed to take a pair of scissors and cut whole sections of the Bible out? That's not who we are. We are a people of the book. And I want to talk about some things that I haven't really talked about in a long time in this series related to this topic. Did you know that the Bible says that there is a special reward in heaven for those who live their life in anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ? And the reason is because it brings purity to our life. And every day we're thinking, is he coming back today? It brings purity to our lives. And so this morning I want to talk to you from Matthew chapter 24 of the things Jesus said of the things Jesus said about what is going to happen just as he comes back. The disciples ask him, what are gonna be the signs of your return? What are gonna be the signs of your coming? And Jesus lays out the signs. Pastor Juan Carlos Heredia, who is our Spanish pastor as you know, he and I were talking this week about this message and we're talking about read the signs, that's the title of the message and the signs that Jesus gave just about signs. And we got in this conversation about it, and I decided I'm going to go to the internet, and I'm going to see signs. I know this sounds crazy and a waste of time, but actually it wasn't. I'm going to go and read road signs and, and uh, signs in front of businesses and that sort of thing. And I came across six of them. I thought I had to share these with you. I thought I need to show you these signs because... It's, uh, you know, signs can be confusing and enlightening, but take a look at this first sign. I think we pretty well understand what they were really trying to say, but someone could say, well, see in this lake, we don't have cat, we don't fish for catfish, we fish for children. And by the way, while we're fishing for them, you can only keep three. You're gonna have to throw back the others. Just keep, there's a limit of three. Here's a second sign that I saw, and it's this. This is a uh, medical center that th- does surgery for cataracts and that sort of thing. So when, if you're coming in for surgery, come and park in this in this space. And by the way, there's a five minute limit. I, this is called in and out, man. I like these kinds of surgeries. Five minutes later, it's all done. I, I don't think that's what it was trying to communicate. Here's the a, here's a third one. We've seen this sign. A million times, have we not? Uh, Road work ahead, we start slowing down. But if you blinked, you would miss the next sign. And it has to be the shortest road work ever in the history of mankind. It's truly true. That second sign was right there. Here is the, the fourth sign, and I didn't understand it. I've heard of free-range chickens, but not free-range children, so I, I really did a double take on that. Now, the next sign, don't put the next sign up, don't, don't put that next picture up. This next one is about a road that was dangerous, and they're trying to warn people at a time, it's going to be dangerous, you need, prepare. <laughs> you need to prepare yourself for this danger. So take a look at this sign. This road is going to be so bumpy. This road's going to be so bumpy. You, you're, you're going to fall out of your seats. You've got to get your seatbelt on. You've got to take your teeth out. You've got to take your teeth out before you keep going forward, because if you don't, they're going to fall out anyway, I guess. I guess that's what it means. Here is the last one, and don't put it up yet. I want to tell you something. I think it's the greatest all-time sign. I think it's the greatest sign I've ever read in my entire life. So here it is, you ready? Here's the sign. Are you getting the idea? You come in this store, you don't take care of your kids? Guess what? We're gonna caffeine them so up. They're not going to bed for two more days. And we're gonna give you a kitten and what are you gonna do with that now? I love this sign. See, signs can be confusing and that can be enlightening. And the same thing is true about Jesus and the signs that he gave in Matthew chapter 24. And he gave to his disciples five key signs. And when he got to the end of the signs, he then gave to them Matthew chapter 24, verse 32 and 33. And so listen to what he said. He's already communicated the signs and now he says this. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Now, stop for a moment. We're in the middle of this. We're experiencing this right now. The grass has turned green. The, the leaves are out. I know how ridiculous this sounds, but I have really been desperate for leaves to come out for some reason. And when they started coming out on the trees in my yard, I just got so excited. The, the leaves have come out. And what does this say to us And the flowers are blooming? It says spring is here and summer is coming. It can't be stopped. There, there's no act of Congress that could stop it. There, the, leaf, the leaves coming out says spring is here and summer is coming. Coming. Now Jesus uses this whole analogy, and he says, When you start seeing the signs that summer is coming, you know nothing's going to be able to stop it. It's coming. And then he says, even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near. He what is near? The signs I've just given you. This is the wrap up of it. That though when you see all of these signs coming together, you know that my coming is near, even at the door. When you see the signs, you know it's near. I'm coming back. So what are the signs? Well, the first sign is simply this, a surge of wars and threats of wars. Listen to how Jesus put it. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 6 and 8, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. Now, if you were listening to that, you were probably thinking, while I was reading it, good grief, every generation has had wars and rumors of wars. That's nothing new. The heart of man is war, and it's not anything new. And Jesus knew that, and he was communi- communicating that. But what Jesus said is, what I am describing is something different. It's verse 8. He said, all of these are the beginning of birth and pains. Kathy and I had two sons, and you know that, and they're grown, and, and uh, uh, men, and, and you, we had two sons, and when our sons were close to being born, Kathy started having birth pains. She had a contraction, and then another contraction, and there were, there were pains, and when you first, as though I'm talking like I know what I'm talking about, but I hear that when you first have contractions, you're not sure because it's, it's not as intense, it's not as frequent, but when it begins to happen more, with more fervency, uh, more intensity, and more frequently, you know this, the baby's going to be born. And that baby is going to be born. Once this starts, there's no stopping this. And when you begin to have the birth pains, you know, nothing's going to stop this. We're walking through this. The baby will be born. And when it gets to a certain place of intensity and frequency, you get everything that's already packed up. You get in the car and you head for the hospital because it is almost here. And that is the example that Jesus is using. When the intensity, there's two key words, write them down if you don't mind. Two key words, intensity and frequency. Those are the two key words that Jesus is using with the birth pain illustration. The 20th century was, is called in history, the bloodiest, the bloodiest 100 years in human history. Why? What happened in in the world is that the population grew unbelievably high. And and the science, the technology of war improved so well. And when you have all of this technology in which we can kill a whole lot of people in a very short period of time and very efficiently... And that technology gets in the hands of the wrong person. You have what happened in World War I, where millions of people were slaughtered, were killed. And then what happens in World War II, where hundreds, hundreds of millions of people tied in World War II. It was unbelievable the bloodshed that was happening all over the world. And then it was brought to an end finally with two atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And I want to tell you, I stand right here only because of those two bombs. You say, well, what, what do you mean by that? My father was in a troop transport on his way to the invasion of Japan. He had already been in five of the most famous Pacific War Battles, he had already fought in those battles, but now he and his troop transport were headed to Japan, and not just his, but hundreds of thousands of American soldiers were in troop transports headed to Japan to invade Japan. It was the only way to stop the war. And my father told me that all the talk in his ship was that no one was going to come back. You cannot invade a country and think you're coming back because you're not coming back. And every one of us, he said, knew we would die. But hundreds of thousands of American soldiers and millions of Japanese people were saved, were rescued because of those two bombs. And I stand here today only because my dad was not killed in the invasion of Japan that never happened. But the technology that has happened since World War II to today is unbelievable. The ability to annihilate millions and millions of people at once. It's unbelievable what has happened with the whole nuclear thing. Japan, I mean, not Japan, uh, China has nuclear capabilities that doesn't match the United States but is moving in that direction. North Korea now has the nuclear bomb. They just don't know how to, don't have the ability to deliver it where they want it, and that's why they keep having all these tests. They're trying to get a device, a rocket in which it can go all the way to the United States and explode and blow up and kill millions of people. Iran is within weeks or months, I am told, to have a nuclear bomb, and their first target is Israel, their second target is Saudi Arabia, and their third target would be the United States, but they're never going to get a missile that can go that far. And so their attempt toward the United States is going to be suitcase atomic weapons in which they come across the porous southern border and go in and blow up a city with a suitcase atomic bomb. And this is the direction. And there is Russia. And it is though we are surrounded by wolves all around us. So why do they not attack? Because the United States is so strong. Because the country is so powerful. But if there ever is a time in which we're not, and that we don't keep up, it won't create peace. It'll create the annihilation of this nation. And we live in a time that is unbelievable in which whole countries can be destroyed in a matter of minutes, in a matter of hours. It is unbelievable where we are. You talk about intensity and the ability to kill so many people. Never in the history of mankind have we ever been in this place. And Jesus said, one of the signs is intensity and frequency in the ability to kill others in war. There's a second sign that he gives to us, and that is an increase of natural disasters. Listen to what he says. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 7, there, are, there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. The Luke's account of the statement that Jesus made also included there will be earthquakes, great earthquakes, famines, and pestilence in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. I don't have the slightest idea what the great signs from heaven is, and I, I'm, I'm not going to address it because I wouldn't do a good job. But I want to address the three natural disasters that Jesus was talking about. Jesus said that in those last days, there will be more famines. Today, on this month, this month, The world will be populated, will reach 8 billion people. But one out of every four persons on the face of the earth, I am told, I read, don't have enough food. They go to bed oftentimes hungry at night because they don't have enough food. On the continent of Africa, One out of every four human beings that live on the continent, one out of every four are not bringing in enough calories to keep their body alive. And this is why 100,000 people every hour in the world dies of hunger. 100,000. Every hour, every hour that goes by, I get through with this. We get through with this service. Another 100,000, 100,000, every single hour dies because they didn't have enough food. I don't understand this. All the technology we have, you would think we've got so much technology, we could grow so much food, and the truth is we do. And all that I read says the reason why we have the technology, the ability to to grow the food, but people are still starving is because we don't understand the mechanism of how, nor do we have the will to get the food to the people that are starving and teach them how to grow their own. The more our population grows, the more the famines will grow. It is just a matter of mathematics. And what Jesus was saying is that when it grows in intensity, when it grows in frequency, you know this is one of the signs that there will be famines that were unprecedented. Second of all, in the last days, there will be more or stronger earthquakes. I don't even know how to deal with this accurately. Because how long has it been since we have had the science to be able to detect the earthquakes and the number of earthquakes and how long has it been? So how do you go back very far? There, there is a mechanism, the Richter scale from 1 to 10, in which you can judge the intensity of the earthquake. And all those earthquakes at 5 and above, those are the ones that damage and what we do know that in the 1970s that the, it, they, there was an average in every year across the decade of the 70s, there was an average of 1,500 earthquakes from the fifth, number five to 10 on the scale. But in the 1980s, there was 1,600. In the 1990s, there was 1,800. And in 2012... In the year of 2012, there were 2,500 from the number five to the number 10. What was interesting is, though, that in two, 2013, it dropped. And for the last eight years, it has been an average of between 16 to 1,800. So how do we see that? How do we view this? Were those decades in which it kept growing, were those the, the right thing and the anomaly now, or were those the anomaly and this is the, the right thing now? I don't know, but here's what I do know. Jesus said, as you get closer and closer, the number of the earthquakes— and the intensity of the earthquakes will keep growing at the very same time that this other, this first sign is taking place. Then the, the, the third thing he says in Luke chapter 21 verse 11, Jesus added that there were, would be an increase of day of deadly diseases and illnesses. And I've looked at that and I've said, good grief. I think we're going in the opposite direction of what Jesus was talking about. If you think about it, we we have all these brilliant minds, these great scientific minds and billions of dollars for research money and we are making such headway in all of these diseases and we just wait every day. What's the next breakthrough? What is the next thing to solve this next problem with diseases that maybe that we're experiencing or someone that we know is? And we're celebrating, we're grateful for it. I'm gonna tell you, we've got a lot of people in the medical community in this church and I am so grateful for them. They are not just brilliant, they are brilliant. But they're not just brilliant, they're godly. They love the Lord. They are walking with God, striving to know the Lord, striving to do right things in their lives and I celebrate them and I'm grateful for them. And I think sometimes how grateful I am to be to live in this day not 500 years ago, but live in this state. To, to be able to live in this country that has such great breakthroughs scientifically with diseases and such, and to live in this city that is one of the great health cities of the entire world. I am deeply grateful to be a part of this. And I thought, how in the world could this sign be? And then 2020 happened. And I want to tell you, this last year has been a shock to me. I haven't known how to compute this. I haven't known how to get this thing figured out. And everything we're hearing, the bits and pieces that are now coming to life, everything we're hearing is that the virus is man-made. I feel like I've been ignorant all this time. I didn't understand this. I understood about biological warfare, but I didn't understand this, that we have the ability to make viruses. And that it's not just in one country, it's all the major countries have this ability. And for the most part, there is cooperation that happens. But suddenly in 2020 comes this virus that appears to be man-made and we discover that we are so interrelated as a world that you can take a virus and you can literally pass it all over the world to every country in a matter of days and you can stop major countries, you can bankrupt them, you can kill millions and millions of people and I never dreamed of this. And today I think to myself what a dangerous place what a dangerous time that this is you take what Jesus gave us in the first two signs and you have to acknowledge that there is evidence that there is a growing frequency there is a growing intensity Jesus said it will be all five signs so what's the third sign the third sign is a rejection of biblical morality Matthew chapter 24, verse 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most, not all, but most will grow cold. And then listen to what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. You should also know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God. Who cares what God thinks if there really is one? Scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. I'm going to tell you this week, that statement stopped me in my tracks. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others. They will have no self-control. They will be cruel and have no interest in what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, loving pleasure rather than God. They will act as though they are religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. something desperately changed in our country i am i i love american history uh, when i graduated from school i didn't stop learning american history i love it i've i i have put i put so much time and energy in my adult life into history and american history i love it i absolutely love it I have been taking courses uh, online. I have been taking uh, video courses. The last one I, I took, I finished, was about a year and a half, almost two years ago, in which I was, wh- I was looking at a, the, what were the great events in American history, including the times, three other times, three or maybe four, depending on how you interpret it, in which there was an attempt to make America a socialist country, but it failed. I have have gone through, I love history, and I have gone through especially American history because I love this country. And what I learned in American history is that all through American history for the first 150 years or more, the Bible was taught in school. Did you know that? They would actually have Bible studies, sort of like a Bible study in, a, in at different classes they would be they, children would memorize scripture in school. I know that sounds preposterous. It sounds like what country are you talking about it can 't be our country we not seen we don 't see any of that now, but something happened, and it was in the 1960s It was in the 1960s that the Supreme Court decided that learning the Bible in school was a violation of the Constitution. It had never been for 150 years, and suddenly it's a violation of of the Constitution. And it was ordered that it would stop and stop immediately. But the problem is, it was so vital. What I have seen in American history is this. It has never been, oh, America is so godly. America would have would have times in which it was hot-hearted for God, it loved God, and times in which it was cold-hearted. And then hot-hearted, a revival would happen, it would be cold-hearted. It would go up and down like this. But why would it come back Why would it go back up if people were cold hearted? Because what had happened in the country through the education process is that they had taught morals. They had taught biblical morals, taught to love God, taught that there is a God and that he loves us. And they were taught morals, what is right, what is wrong in the eyes of God. And so even if they weren't even Christians, they would hear it. They would learn it. And there was a compass. There was a moral compass. But in the 1960s, the compass was taken away, and it was replaced with relativism. And relativism just means whatever you decide is true is true, and whatever you decide is false is false. Whatever you decide is moral is moral, and whatever you decide is immoral is immoral. You hear that in school all the time. But we never heard it, never heard it. It wasn't until the 1970s when they were looking, but we need to teach these kids morals. We will teach them relativism. You decide you are sort of God and you decide for yourself. What is your truth? And I'm telling you, I've been back. I have looked at it all the way back to the latter 1800s. All these records were kept of the different morals and they would, they, would, they would rise, and then they would fall, and they would rise, and all these moral issues, they would fall. But then something happened in 1960, they shot up. I'm telling you, every single moral that you can name, Un- unwed pregnancies, and, and uh, uh, abuse of children, and whatever you want to name, you can name anything And in the 1960s, they took off and there was no coming back and they had never dropped. They just keep on going and you and I are living out the results of it. That's why you worry about your kids, you worry about if you see a stranger around, you never used to do that. Because the country changed. What caused the country to change? It has no moral compass left. It has nothing to bring them back. And now there's no end to it and that is what I am saying. It happened with the excuse of freedom and that freedom is now enslaving us with pornography and child abuse and sexual perversion like the world has never seen since first century Roman Empire. And Jesus said, because of the increase of wickedness at the end, the love of most will grow cold. There's a fourth sign, a propensity towards spiritual deception. Matthew chapter 24, listen to what Jesus says, verse 5 and 11. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. He is saying that in the last days, there there will be all these people that will emerge. I am the Christ, I am the Messiah figure. And what is interesting is that since the 1960s, Now 60 years, there have been 1,100 separate individuals claiming to be a Messiah kind of figure, the Savior of the world. David Koresh's and the Jim Jones and gurus and charismatic leaders. Because there is a hunger inside people's hearts for truth, they just don't know where to go. They don't know where to turn because the compass, the compass has been lost. But there's a second part to this. There will be a falling away from solid biblical truth. The Bible will stop being taught as truth with a capital T. Several years ago, a private university, you can look them up, Western Reserve University, they're out of... Cleveland several years ago Western Reserve University is a private university did a survey of 7400 pastors from major denominations and they asked several questions but one of the questions they asked was this do you believe that the Bible is the infallible inspired word of God pretty straightforward 82% of Methodist pastors said no 89% of Episcopal pastors said no 81% of United Presbyterian pastors said no. 57% of Baptist pastors said no. It's not just Southern Baptists. There's all kinds of Baptist groups, and it is a splattering of all of that. 57% of Baptists, pastors, said no. So what does your lead pastor believe? I happen to know Mark Hartman really well. And I can tell you, I believe in the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. I have all my ministry, I will to my death. I believe that the word of God is truth with a capital T. That what God says is moral is moral. What God says is immoral is immoral. What God says to us through his word is truth. I believe it with all of my heart. I have never not believed it. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says it this way. The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by devils. Such teachings will come through hypocritical liars. He's talking about pastors and teachers whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. And I want to tell you, I'm really concerned. I'm really concerned where it's all going. It has just passed the House of Representatives a bill called the Equality Act, and that's good. The name is is great. The Equality Act. It's also called the HR five. It's all built around the idea of the LGBTQ and transgender rights. And here's what I want to say to you. Every person in this country deserves this, the rights. Every person in this country deserves the rights that are afforded by the Constitution. But they were already there. But But the concern was, yeah, but when, even though they're there, even they're in a situation in which they're not observed, then this gives it more force. Like every legislation, it seems like they always go too far. And that's what's happened. And here's what I mean. There's no protection for religious entities. There's no protection for religious entities in the bill, and it's, it's intended. It's intended because this bill passed the House last year and it died in the Senate. It's passed again because they're hoping it will go through this time. But there's no protections. So that means second mile. That means Second Mile Mission Center, our mission center. That means Living Water International. That means any Christian school. That means any Christian university. If they hire any of these religious institutions, if they hire someone who is believes something differently than they do about this subject, are involved in the lifestyle, they can't do anything about it. And here is a Bible teacher and was not upfront, and now suddenly we'd find out this person believes Leave something very different from us, and they're a Bible teacher, and we can't do one thing about it as a religious school because there's no provision. Look, I, I want our church to love every human being, to love and lead all people. I want, I, I want every, every transgender, every homosexual, every lesbian everyone to attend our services. I want to show them the word of God. I want to teach the word of God. I want us to be loving as a church. But what God says is right is right and what God says is wrong is wrong. And what I know is this. I know that the Bible is so clear about the issue. We're to be loving. We're to be kind. We are to be open-hearted. We are to love people to Christ. But the Bible is so open about this issue that that lifestyle is morally wrong. Racism in any form by any person is wrong. It is responsible to every Christian, to be a part of helping people who are impoverished. God is the former formation provider of life from the very beginning to the end. There are so many things that are so clear in God's Word, and what God says is truth is truth, and it doesn't matter what the culture says. We're here to be salt and light and change the culture, not to join with the culture. But here's what I'm gonna say to you. What I am so concerned about is that though in this, there is the provision for churches of religious freedom, it won't be in the next one. It's little by little by little. And the next time, this time, leaving out all the religious groups, now the next one will come after the church. And I'm going to tell you, there are good, godly men who love the Word of God in Asian, who are Asian pastors and black pastors and Hispanic pastors and white church pastors and churches like this church. That's everything. There are pastors who know the Word of God and love the Word of God and strive to follow the Word and to preach the Word. And one day, it will happen. It will happen in which something is decided and now religious freedom is dependent upon acquisitioning to the culture, doing what the culture wants, believing what the culture says is true. And one day, one day, pastors are going to say the very things I just said in this church and they're going to be arrested for it. And I am so worried about my country. But Jesus said, the fourth sign. That spiritually we will give in so much to the culture. There's a fifth sign and it's this. A worldwide spreading of the gospel. It's the only good one. A worldwide spreading of the gospel. Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then, see the word then? And then the end will come. And we live in the only generation in which that's been possible. In other generations, they didn't even know where these other people were. They didn't even know these people were here until a few hundred years ago and now in our generation because of science and technology, everybody, everybody can hear the the gospel on the internet by television, by radio, by printed materials can hear the gospel and what we're hearing today, been hearing for the last decade or more, 15 years, is that there is a revival happening in Muslim countries because Muslims have been having these visions and these dreams of Jesus. Jesus coming, I am the Son of God. And these Muslims turning by faith to Jesus Christ and dying for their faith but leading other people to Christ, it is as though God is saying the end is coming, the end is near, and now I'm going to give a boost to these people who won't hear the gospel and I'm going to make sure they know. And then... The end will come. And I'm just daring you to see what is it that he, Jesus said, that is not true today. And I'm telling you, I'm not looking for signs anymore. I'm looking to the eastern sky because my Redeemer is drawing near. My Redeemer is drawing near. Next Sunday, we're going to be in heaven. Either literally, and in that case, I won't be the teacher, because a whole lot better teacher is going to be preaching next Sunday in heaven. But if we're not in heaven, we're going to be here, and we are going to talk about what the Bible describes the throne of God to be. What does it look like? What will it look like when we stand before God? What will it be like and look like? And we're going to talk about that next Sunday. But here's my request. If you don't know Jesus as Savior online, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, would you give your heart to Him today? You can talk to someone online, online Next Step Center, and you can talk to one of our ministers. And how do I come to know Jesus as my Savior? Please help me to get closer to God. Could you help me? I've got a need. I've got a prayer issue. Would you pray for me? And the answer is yes. And on any of our campuses, there is a... There is a real next steps center that you can go to and you can give your heart to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask you, would you move in hearts? Would you move in hearts today? And would you bless and bring people that have heard the truth? Would you bring them to yourself? And may many come to know Jesus as Savior. May may many draw closer to Christ in their life. May many renew their love for you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.